0: This is, uh, this is week four of Advent, week four, traditional calendar, church calendar for Advent is, is the theme of love. Uh, if you were here when I was in, in Bible college still during my internship and I preached my very first sermon, it was on the topic of love. I, I hope this one will be much better than that one was. Uh, if you were here, it wasn't good, you can attest to that. Um, so we're going to try again here with the, the theme of love. What we're going to do is we're going to start in the Gospels, Gospel of Matthew we're going to start with we're going to look at is the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic Gospels. They generally tell the same story, uh, sometimes just in, in different ways. Uh, with the Gospel of John, it seems to take a different approach and tell stories that the other three Gospels, some stories that the other three Gospels don't have and vice versa. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This same story is recorded in all three of those Gospels. Now, it doesn't mean that just because it was court recorded in all three that it's the same occurrence every time. The question that Jesus is going to be asked in this, in this story was a common question of the day. If you were going to talk to a rabbi and ask him a question, this question that you're going to see in just a minute is, is a question that you would probably ask. There's actually some writings of, of contemporaries of Jesus. Uh, rabbi Hillel is one example that he answered the same question because he was probably asked, asked the same question. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 22. Verse 34, I'm going to read this section and we'll look at Mark and Luke's account as well. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What is he asking? So if you were to look at all the Old Testament, we refer to it as the Old Testament. What's the God gives 613 commands. Someone counted. I didn't, by the way, but someone did. 613 commandments are given in the Old Testament of what the Israelites either should or should not do. The question is, Rabbi, which one of those 613 commands is the most important? If I had to focus on one, which one should I focus on? That's the question that's being posed to to Jesus. Common question of of the day to rabbis is what, what do you believe is the most important law? What's the most important one? Which commandment ranks? Number one, Jesus' response is this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. When asked the question, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus' response is, Love God with everything you have. Right? That's what he's saying. You're, love God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. You're going to see that he's actually quoting an Old Testament uh, verse there. We're going to look at it in just a minute. This so is first number one, love God. Then he goes on and answers a question that wasn't posed to him. But the question was, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, that's the greatest, but here's number two. Number two is, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus concludes by saying all the law and prophets, all 613 commands and all the writings that came after hang or hinged on these two commands. Love God and love others. Jesus seems to believe that that is the the fulfillment of the law. When you put the law into practice, your job is to love God and to love the people as you're around. Let's see what Mark says. How Mark frames this. Same, remember, same story. The Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter 12, verse 28. says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater questions. Jesus answers, and the man who asked the question says, you know what, I agree with you. I think you're right. right? Doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't worry if he agrees with them or not. He's just giving him an answer. Here's Luke's version of, this, of the story in chapter 10, starting in verse 25. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now here we have a different motive, right? The last guy was asking a question. The first guy was asking, this. this time, they're saying, we're trying to put Jesus to the test. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's framed differently, right? This makes us believe that this is probably a different time when this question is asked to Jesus. The first one is, what's the greatest commandment? Mark's version, what's the greatest commandment? Luke's version is, how do I get to heaven? I mean, that's what he's asking, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response is this, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? That's what he's who's asking. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. See, see how it changed in Luke's version of it? He said, Jesus giving the answer. The man ans- answers the question. Now he happens to answer it the same way Jesus does in Matthew and Mark. And Jesus says, You're right. Do that, and you'll have a great life. A life that is is well lived. Now I want to show you where Jesus and these other people are pulling these these from. And so what we're going to look at is the Book of Deuteronomy, chapter six, which is a very important chapter in the Jewish world. Uh, It's called the Shema, which was a, a they would recite this as a prayer every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Some people believe it may be the first, one of the first times a group of people exclaimed the fact or pronounced the fact that God is one. Remember, the, the world up until this time was polytheistic, multi, lots of different gods and goddesses. The nation of Israel is different because they believe in one God, this creator God. So this verse is is important in, in the history of religious thinking and thought. But you heard it in their responses, didn't you? Jesus responded with this once in, in Luke's Version, the man responds with this answer as the greatest commandment Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So when Jesus answers the question, he isn't pulling that answer out of nowhere. He knows the book. So when he answers, he answers from Deuteronomy 6 4 and 5. God is one, God is good, and our job is to love him with everything we have. Well, we're going to go here to so the Book of Leviticus. Now, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible before, you may have got hung up here. Book of Leviticus. If you're going to read through it in one setting, I'm not going to lie to you; it's a little painful. If you don't believe me, go home today and start reading the Book of Leviticus. You will be bummed out quickly. Right? It's all the things a priest has to do, and all the what they wear. What, it's not a, It's not fun reading. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not saying it's not important. It's important, but it's not fun reading. But there are some sections in the book of Leviticus that are really, really important, and I believe Jesus is actually drawing from when he answers this question. So I want to show you. This is one of the, I mean, there's, it's all good, but this is one of the better parts to read. Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 9, says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Some of those 613 commandments we were talking about are found here in the book of Leviticus. And he's actually framing this first, giving, giving people who, who are in agriculture, farmers, a commandment. We see this commandment come to fruition in the book of Ruth. What does Ruth do? She goes behind Boaz, if you remember the story of Ruth, and she gleans what's left. Why? Because Ruth doesn't have anything. Right? She's poor. She's without. And so the, the social safety net of their day, it was God saying, when you harvest, you go through once. Whatever's left is left. You leave that for those who don't have enough so they can come through and they can go and glean from that what they need. Then he gets into specifics. Don't steal. Don't lie, don't deceive, don't swear falsely by my name. It continues in verse 13. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. What's he doing? What are we hearing here? This is God telling his people how they ought to. To live. Pretty simple. If you lie, people are eventually going to not trust you. And when your word doesn't mean anything, it's not going to be fun. Don't steal from other people. People get upset when you do that, believe it or not. It's weird. Don't take things you didn't earn. Look at verse 13. For those of you who are employers... You employ people. This is some of God's law of saying, hey, a day la- for someone who works as a day laborer, they depend on that money every day to feed their family. You don't hold their money back from them. Says you pay them when they work. It says, take care of those who are vulnerable, verse 14. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. They're vulnerable. Take care of them. And if you notice, He puts it on his, God puts it in, on his identity that you do that. When he repeats, I am the Lord, it's God's way of saying, hey, I'm not playing around. Right? Don't pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor, favoritism to the great, judge people fairly. He Keeps going in verse 16. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. That includes on Facebook. I know Facebook wasn't invented then, but that does include that. right? Don't slander people. You might need to get rid of your Facebook that to happen, but just don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Don't hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but listen to this last part here. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus Gives his answer, his answer to the great what is the the question that's posed is what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' answer was first to do what? Love God, Deuteronomy six, four and five, and love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus nineteen eighteen. When Jesus gives his response, he doesn't make it up out of thin air, he pulls it from the book. Why? How? Because he knows the book. He knows the book. When life starts throwing things at us, we better know the book. And be able to respond in a way that is good and holy and right and pure. You better know the book. If we don't know the book, we're going to come up with our own ideas. And I'm not going to speak for your ideas, but my ideas aren't all that great all that often. Just telling you like it is. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you. They're not great. God's are. So when we need that wisdom in that difficult situation, we better know the book or we're going to be in trouble. Jesus' response is love God, which is probably easier than the second, loving other people. We talked about this in youth group a few weeks ago. Uh, one of our, 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 our kids said, you know, it's actually easier for me to love my dog than it is some other people. And I said, yeah, I get it. I mean, don't, I, I hear you. I understand. People are hard, aren't we? We're difficult sometimes. Sometimes we're selfish. Again, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for you. I'm not putting words in your mouth. Sometimes we do really stupid things. Sometimes we're very hurtful with our words and our actions. It's hard to love other people sometimes, isn't it? Believe it or not, though, God believes that you can't even do that until you, Do verse 18. What's the second half of verse 18 say? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know that you can't actually love somebody else until you love you. Until you can look in the mirror and be content with what you see, you're going to have a hard time loving anyone else. If you don't see worth and value in yourself, you will not see worth and value in other people. It's just not going to happen. And there are times in life where we might, maybe we've, we've fallen and we've failed and we've made a mess of things and we're just like, oh, what man? what next? And God's calling us, reminding us that we first have to love ourselves. We remind ourselves that we are children of God. That's the greatest title we will ever have Is child of God. If you remember, your identity, your self-worth, is wrapped up in Him, not in in what you do or what you produce or how good you are, because I'm going to give you a little hint here. You're not that good. Me neither. Welcome to the club. If your identity is wrapped up in Him, you have self-worth from the get-go. The book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, tells us that God created human beings in his Image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Is how the book of Genesis begins. You are the only thing in God's green earth that has been created in his image. You're an image bearer. That means you have worth and value from the womb. You matter. And if you're having problems loving other people, it might just be that you're having a hard time loving yourself. So you've got to realize that you're lovable. If you need a reminder, I suggest maybe you buy a necklace with a cross on it and wear it close to your heart. Because if you ever need a reminder of how much you're worth and how much value God believes you have, the cross should be all you need to see. Because the cross is God's statement to you saying what? I love you you're worth dying for, you matter. So if you're struggling within yourself, it's okay. We all do sometimes. But fix your eyes upon the cross because it is there where your worth and value can be found. And God brought his son into the world in a lowly little manger in a podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And his son took on flesh and blood. He didn't stay a baby for long. They never do, do they? And at 30, he enters into his ministry, teaching and preaching the good news that God is for us, not against us. And that God's love is so great And deep and wide that you will never find its ends. And it goes to a crucifixion stake, having done nothing wrong, because you are valuable to God. And all God has ever wanted is you. That's it. That's what he wants more than anything, is You struggling loving yourself look to our god he is a god that is full of love and then once you've loved yourself you can go out and try to do that second commandment which is to love your neighbor as yourself now the question has always been and and the rabbis debated this probably to nauseam is who's your neighbor in the old testament generally it was confined to the the nation of israel right Our, our fellow people jesus tells a story in the gospels about a man going to Jericho. You remember that story? We have laws, actually, named after that story in our country. It's a story of the Good Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people. They, they, they had all kinds of conflict that I can't get in with you now or we'll be here a long time, but they had all kinds of butting heads. And Jesus tells a story about, about this man who's on the way to Jericho. It's a known, it's a dangerous road. It's windy. He gets robbed and all these people go past him. You remember the story? And the only one to stop and help him is a Samaritan. His enemy. and He's the one who bandages the wounds and who makes, takes him to the inn, right? make sure he gets better. Jesus tells that story to answer the question for us of who our neighbor is. And the answer is, whoever you find yourself around at any given moment. That's your neighbor. And so when we... Th- we dissect it and we think more about it. The command gets a little harder, doesn't it? First, love God. I'm okay with that. Two, love everyone you're around. Some of those people, I don't like God. And God says, get over it. Put your big boy or girl pants on. Suck it up, buttercup. You'll be all right. right? I, tell it so, I say it to myself every day, at least once in my mind. Suck it up, buttercup. You'll be okay. Right? It's a long way from your heart. Our job as Christians is to love God and love the people we're around. Now, so I know, I know some of them aren't lovable. God didn't say you had to trust them. God didn't say you had to be friends with them. God didn't say you had to invite them over for dinner. God says, love God and love other people. You don't have to be best friends with them. You don't have to like them. You don't have to let them continue to hurt you time and time again. That's not what God says. But God says, your stance towards them should not be of ill will. It should be that of love. Because if you think about it, Apostle Paul talks about this, that God chose to love us while we were what? We're his enemies, sinners. Yet God chose to love us anyways. So we can at least extend that same grace to the people we find around us. I want to conclude by reading Romans 13. It's a great summary of, of this commandment. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 13 says let no doubt debt excuse me remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law It's the point. It's always been the point and will always be the point. You can get bogged down in the 613 commandments that are found in the Old Testament. You can get bogged down in the New Testament. The point is, is love. So you've got to love. And love is not like the Hallmark little cutesy hearts we give to each other on Valentine's love, right? Love sacrifices. Love gives. Love goes out of the way. Love is often inconvenienced. The Bible's idea of love, used by the Greek word agape, is a sacrificial love. It's a love that gives. And it has to be because when God, who the Apostle John tells us is love, it's part of his makeup, when he chose to love us, he he sacrificed. He gave. Anybody who's been married very long will tell you that if you're going to succeed in marriage you're going to have to sacrifice you're going to have to give It's how relationships work not just a marriage relationship every relationship is that way you have to give right my wife has to put up with me brushing my teeth all over the house i can't sit still while i brush my teeth i don't know what's wrong with me it's i I can't do it i walk all over the house like i I don't know it can't be explained she has to put up with it right that's sacrifice It's a minor one, I hope, but it's a sacrifice. Love gives. Love sacrifices. It just does. So as we leave and we prepare our hearts, our homes to celebrate Christmas in just a few days, remember it's always been about and will always be about love. Love God. Love others. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come here today and to to read your word and to partake in your communion, to offer our worship to you and through song and through giving, God, we just are so grateful for all that you have given to us. We are so just at awe at who you are. God, we just ask that you would help us to fulfill these commandments that that Jesus reminded us of that were found in the Old Testament, to love you with everything we have and to love others as we love ourselves. God, we know that this can be a very difficult time for people. People who have lost someone they love often struggle during this time. We pray for them, God. We ask that you would wrap your arms of love and grace and comfort around them now and help us to love them as we love ourselves. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who, who is love in the flesh. showed us what it looks like to love others as we love ourselves. and showed us what it meant to love you with everything. We have. God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen.